Morena, and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey. This is my daily podcast that goes out to paying subscribers on my substack called The Kaka, in which every day I have a look at what's happening around our political economy and the world that might affect key areas of housing, affordability, climate change in action, and child poverty reduction. Today's a huge day, my Christmas day, in terms of uh, news for those interested in the political economy, it's budget day. Budget 2022 will come out at 2pm today, May the 19th. There will be a lock-up between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the Beehive, which Lynn and I will attend, and I plan to put out the latest news and a little podcast soon after 2 o'clock for all subscribers. But I wanted to set the scene and look at the big picture into which this budget will fall. Because when we hear about a budget coming and we hear about the big news that's coming and there is almost the expectation that something might change, that the government's policies are at a pivot point and that there might be some changes in spending or taxes or incentives in the economy that might actually change the underlying settings that we have in Aotearoa New Zealand. However, sadly, we're not going to get much change today. And we know that from the indications that have already been given by the Finance Minister Grant Robertson and the overall structure of the government's involvement in the economy, how much it taxes, what it spends on, and how the tax system works to incentivise investment in particular. So I think everyone's pretty familiar now with the problems in the New Zealand political economy. Over the last 30 years, uh, our government, and governments, because it's not just the central but also council, councils, have systematically underinvested in infrastructure, particularly for housing, for transport and for water. And we're now dealing with the uh, inevitable results of that. Um, all sorts of problems with water quality, the most unaffordable homes in the world, and, of course, a failure to uh, uh, reduce our climate emissions, either since we started trying, apparently trying, and also uh, in advance of meeting our international targets, which will determine whether we can be part of the global economy. So um, why is that? Why has there been this fundamental bias from both central government and the Beehive, and from councils all up and down the country for 30 years to underinvest. And if you're looking for some uh, backing for that claim, have a look in the email newsletter today. There are some excellent charts from the IMF showing New Zealand's very low, compared to the rest of the OECD, levels of investment in land transport, so buses, trains, roads even, and also a very low levels of research and development investment by both governments, universities and businesses. Now we know why this is the case. Essentially our government and really our voters, and particularly those who vote the most, who are homeowners, have essentially decided they prefer to make personal, tax-free, leveraged capital gains from their own homes rather than make money from 
their real jobs or businesses. Because over the last 30 years, that's what's worked for people. The returns have been extraordinary. Uh, however, not so much fun if you're a renter. And from the overall point of view of the economy, it means we're falling further and further behind in terms of our productivity and our real wages. And you're seeing that reflected now in another brain drain of uh, New Zealand-born or uh, relatively young residents leaving for Australia where wages are significantly higher, 30 to 40% higher. Uh, housing costs are now lower in the central cities of uh, Sydney and Melbourne after a burst of investment in apartments. And there has been significantly bigger investment in not just uh, mining, but also in services and infrastructure in Australia for a whole bunch of reasons involving essentially uh, tax incentives and the structures of public finances between the federal government and the state governments in Australia. For example, there are incentives for state governments to invest in their public infrastructure and their transport and their housing because they receive often uh, stamp duties from uh, real estate sales. So uh, New Zealand has this basic problem. Our governments don't invest enough in infrastructure and that's because they choose to keep their debt relatively low. The reason for that is it keeps interest rates relatively low. And if you're a homeowner, the thing you want is not much new housing supply coming onto the market. You want low interest rates and preferably falling interest rates. And you want to know that the government is not increasing its debt because if the government is increasing its debt at the same time as the households are increasing their debt, that will push up interest rates. And rising interest rates or higher interest rates than would otherwise be the case are a bad formula for getting the leveraged tax-free capital gains, which are the main reason for living and, well, not really working in New Zealand, just owning property. Because over the last two years in particular, but really over the last 20 years, New Zealand homeowners have made much, much, much more from simply owning property, in particular residential land, than they have from doing their actual jobs. And that includes people with the highest paid jobs, the likes of the former Air New Zealand CEO, Christopher Luxon, and his predecessor, Rob Fife. Uh, and um, if you talk to anyone in the higher echelons of New Zealand public life, and in particular in business, the people who are on the highest salaries, the millions of dollars, a year will tell you that they invest their own personal money in residential properties as many as they can because that's a mu you get a much more leveraged, a much higher and a much less volatile return on investment than any investment in a business or in research and development or international expansion. Now the, the end result of all this focus on residential investment and not in business investment or in research and development is that our workers are not getting the skills and the technology they need to become more productive, to produce more from each hour of work. And that's what you need to get to be able to increase your real wages. And uh, that's the inevitable result of that focus on keeping public debt low, making sure that people who own homes can get leveraged tax-free capital gains with very low interest rates, and then making sure that the government keeps at that around about 30% of GDP level, which it was pushed down to 
in the late 80s, early 1990s, and that the main focus of government should be on restricting the size of government and using any economic growth to return tax cuts to middle to higher income earners. And that pressure has been on there from middle New Zealand, median voters, for the last 30 years. As soon as there's any sort of uh, relaxation in the budget situation where the government looks like it's headed for a surplus and debt is already relatively low, which it is now, then the pressure goes on for tax cuts. And we're seeing this at the moment. And it's one of the main reasons why currently National and ACT are leading in the polls and according to the most recent polls could govern in their own right after the election at the end of next year. So that's the background, both politically and economically and in financial structural terms, to the New Zealand economy. Our governments of both colours for 30 years have pursued low debt, low investment economies. When I say low debt, low public debt, low public investment economies so that households can gear up, leverage up to buy residential property and get tax-free capital gains. We've had four elections which were essentially about this core problem in our economy, the lack of a capital gains tax for owner-occupiers. And uh, every time someone proposes a change, they lose the election. It's the reason that in 2017, Sundaradun pulled out of a capital gains tax in the last week of the election campaign and in 2020 promised not to bring in a capital gains tax. She's since even clarified to say that promise to never bring one in in her political lifetime also refers to a wealth tax. With a National Act on track to win the next election, that collective national strategy of focusing on low public investment low public taxes, tax cuts returned to middle and higher income New Zealanders, a punitive welfare system which keeps government spending on welfare apart from New Zealand superannuation relatively low, and uh, the focus on buying economic growth, or at least nominal economic growth, by bringing in significant numbers of low-wage migrants, that is very much on track to be re-elected at the end of this year. We know from all of the studies by all of the officials and the grown-ups in the world of economics and public policy here and overseas, that's what's needed to improve our wages and reverse the brain drains we've had for the last 30 years, is to invest more in public infrastructure and in research and development. That needs a change in the fundamental incentives for investment in New Zealand, which on the current trends with both the existing Labour government and the potential new National Act government are unlikely to change whatsoever. So when you hear the budget later on today and look at the details and hear the announcements about the various bits and pieces, what you should know is that the overall structure of the budget settings and how the government operates is locked in stone. That there is, you know, a bit of tweaking around the edges here, but the basic facts of low public debt, low public investment, high housing debt, uh, a focus on uh, obtaining tax-free leveraged capital gains by keeping public debt and interest rates low, are very intact. And we know that we're not going to get too much change from that because uh, Grant Robertson has said in the last three weeks that A, 
The $6 billion operating allowance, which was announced in December, is not going to change, i.e. the government's not going to loosen fiscal policy or use debt to change the trajectory of government investment and spending. There's also no plans for any changes in the tax settings because that's what the government promised at the 2020 election. And the government is also not using its balance sheet to invest in infrastructure any more than it previously has. So, for example, there's a $9.8 billion multi-year capital allowance, which was announced in December. That was up $2 billion, to be fair, but that's not increasing anymore, even though we know that the size of our infrastructure deficit is at least $100 billion and uh, at least $200 billion needs to be invested to achieve the sorts of uh, infrastructure and productivity gains that we know are necessary. We know that from the productivity and the Infrastructure Commission's various reports over recent years. So, uh, no change in the operating allowance, $6 billion for uh, the first year. Uh, that is committed largely to DHB reforms, to restructuring, and also to wiping uh, several years of consistent deficits by DHBs. Now, that money has already been spent. Essentially, it's an accounting exercise to use the uh, uh, $6 billion operating allowance for that. And the capital um, upgrade program, the $9.8 billion that was announced in December, Grant Robertson says that's not going to change. He's concerned about um, the effects on inflation of the government increasing any of its capital spend. Remember, it's planning to spend in total $58 billion over the next four years. For the last four years, it has significantly underspent on its plans for capital uh, because of the usual delays and because of a consistent drive to get the budget back into surplus and start reducing uh, the net debt again, which currently is on track to be at about 16% of GDP within the next three or four years. Now that is less than half the comparable number in Australia, less than a third the comparable number in the UK, and less than a fifth of the comparable number in the United States, each of which have similar credit ratings than we do. Now you might say, gee, what you're talking about is nothing like what I hear from the government or the opposition. Uh, well, it's, that's uh, true, I'm, I'm calling it out. Uh, but if you're looking for uh, a sign of where the government's priorities are and what it's actually doing, there was a very good exchange in Parliament in Question Time yesterday between Christopher Luxon and Jacinda Ardern, and I include the full uh, quotes from it in today's Dawn Chorus email newsletter. Uh, Christopher Luxon challenged Jacinda Ardern to justify why the Auckland Light Rail uh, link had not started uh, being built and she essentially said um, we'd had a economic crisis and the main thing was that we had retained our AAA credit ratings. Now why is that interesting to say and why, it's, why was it interesting that was the first response she gave? She was essentially throwing back at Christopher Luxon that the government finances under Labour uh, had continued this low-debt, low-investment approach, and the proof of it was the AAA credit rating. Because remember, for Standard & Poor's and Moody's, the key thing for them is to have low debt to GDP, because the lower that debt, the lower the risk of a sovereign default. It doesn't take into account, for example, the inevitable result of low debt, which is low investment, 
low well-being. That's not what Standard & Poor's is measuring. They are measuring default risk or sovereign debt. And effectively, it is a proxy for low debt, meaning lower interest rates than would otherwise be the case. And that's been the trend and the main focus of governments of both colours for 30 years, and that is not changing at this budget. And politically, if anything, it looks like it'll be doubled down on after the next election. Well, I'll be back later on this afternoon with a podcast about what's in the details of what's in the budget, but that's just the big picture of how our economy and our government works, uh, what's changing and what's not changing, and uh, where the incentives lie in our economy and helping to explain, I think, some of the problems that we have. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was my dawn chorus for Thursday the 19th of May, Budget Day. Kaki te anō.